Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about the anatomy of a DDoS attack. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Trey Gwynn. He's the Head of Solution Engineering with Cloudflare. Trey, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you as well. To start with, Trey, talk to me a little bit about DDoS and the types of attacks that you're seeing predominantly on organizations today. Yes, we see, as you can imagine, a wide range of DDoS attacks, but I like to put them in the context of how you would attack a brick-and-mortar business. So if you, let's say you had a, a pizza store and you wanted to try to DDoS a pizza store. And, of course, a DDoS is a distributed denial of service attack where you're trying to exhaust the resources uh, so that you can't serve legitimate customers. You can imagine that you could attack a pizza shop in two ways. One, you could order 500 fake pepperoni pizzas and cause them to run out of pepperoni, <laughs> or you could just make uh, thousands of phone calls and, and tie up their phone lines so that no legitimate visitors could actually call in. It works a similar way on the website with a, with someone's website or web property. One way you try to uh, attack them is to stop their ability to even accept network connections, and that's with volumetric attacks. Or you try to overwhelm the resources to respond to those requests, and that's normally a layer 7 or application layer attack. Another type of attack we've seen online is the rise of DNS-based attacks. And this is interesting because it's, uh, the DNS infrastructure is essentially the Internet's phone book. This is, if you ran your pizza shop, how people would actually look up the phone number to your pizza shop. And now what attackers are doing is to launch very high request rate queries towards your DNS infrastructure. And that makes it so that no one can look up the address to your website or to your Internet properties because they've basically taken the phone book offline. The ability to mitigate these is challenging because these requests look just like normal DNS queries. In order to mitigate an attack against DNS infrastructure, you have to have a DNS infrastructure able to answer this very high rate of DNS queries. So you just need a very, very large DNS infrastructure that's distributed globally to keep your DNS infrastructure available and fast. So, Trey, when you look at these different types of attacks on organizations, how do they differ from one another from the organization's perspective? These types of attacks differ in the complexity and and challenge in, in launching the attacks. They have a similar effect on the business that they cause the business to be offline and no longer able to, to serve requests, but how you mitigate the attacks is different. The frequency in which you see these attacks differs based on how hard they are to actually launch. The most easy type of attack to launch is a volumetric attack. This is like a caveman with a club. They're very, very easy to launch. You can essentially flood someone with a massive amount of traffic and cause them to not be able to, you know, basically you're filling up their Internet pipes and making it impossible to serve legitimate queries over those same connections. The more complex attack is, and and sometimes also harder to mitigate, are finding points inside your web application that are expensive to serve and then requesting those over and over again to exhaust resources either in the web application tier or in your database tier. So, Trey, that's a good description of how the types of attacks differ from one another, but let's talk about mitigation. 
How should mitigation techniques also differ? With volumetric attacks, the challenge there is that even though someone is sending a massive amount of essentially garbage traffic, it's very obvious that that traffic is illegitimate. But you have to accept it all in order to make that distinction. There's, there's no way to absorb a volumetric attack without having very, very big pipes. And this is something that's not possible to do in a single location uh, sort of with on-premise solutions. So when you start talking about 500 gigabits of traffic, you just can't absorb that in one location. So in that instance, you have to use a global network that is absorbing the attack in many locations so that where an attack is trying to attack from lots of locations and concentrate in one point, you are, we're load balancing attacks across a large network. So that's how you have to deal with volumetric attacks. Application attacks require sort of application intelligence where you now are looking at all of the requests. These are harder for the attackers to launch because they have to be more tuned to your specific application and they're, they're more expensive for the attacker to launch. But this is a, the more motivated attacker will attack at the application. And then you need to be able to identify at an application level what kind of requests are being made, are they legitimate, and even who are making these requests. Are they making requests from IPs that are trusted or untrusted uh, and having a, a strong understanding of can I trust this request and should I slow it down or, or deprioritize it? One of the big topics when you speak with any security leader today is extortion. Tell me what you're seeing for ransom-based DDoS attacks, and how are they typically launched against organizations? Well, the folks that are doing ransom-based attacks will use volumetric and application-level attacks as when and if they actually do the attack. The interesting thing we've found is that there are a lot more attackers sending out ransom notes than those actually doing attacks. It's even to the point where the, you know, the common way to do this is to claim to be someone who's famous in the news, <laughs> say, I'm going to attack if, unless you pay me X number of Bitcoins, and then they send you an address to send Bitcoins to. Now, clearly, no one should ever pay for a ransom-based attack. It's a terrible idea because it will not stop the attack from coming. But in addition to that, we have seeing many of these ransom notes that go out, and it's clear based on how they accept payment that they have no way to determine who has actually paid the ransom. So there's no expectation that there is either going to be an attack or even a correlation between who pays and who gets, who gets attacked. <laughs> it's actually technically impossible for them to do this on most of these ransoms. So it's just a quick and easy way for someone to send an email and hope you will pay them up anyways. Well, you're very clear about this. Don't pay the ransom. If organizations don't pay, how then should they respond to ransom-based DDoS attacks? Well, they should report the ransom-based DDoS attacks to, to local law enforcement. The FBI has a hotline for this as well. So just to, to report it and let, let them know that it is occurring. But I would say that the primary way you want to react is to make sure that you have a posture that you are able to absorb and to deal with DDoS attacks because ransom-based or not, they are just the nature of doing business on the Internet today. Trey, there are lots of players in the DDoS mitigation space, as you know. So talk to me about how Cloudflare distinguishes itself in this space and tell me about the results you've delivered to your customers. 
So one of the things that differs in how Cloudflare offers DDoS mitigation is that we are an always-on service. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we're able to immediately, in real time, deal with DDoS attacks. And because we're an always-on service, we have to make sure that we are not making the experience any slower for our customers. So we have to actually deliver performance advantages in addition to DDoS mitigation. The traditional approach are what are called sort of BGP scrubbing solutions, and those are on-demand services. And while they work uh, when they're turned on, the fundamental problem we see with those is that what you have to do is you have to get attacked, then you have to detect that attack. You have to decide that there's not some problem in your infrastructure, that really the reason you've just gone down is because there's an attack. Then you get a hold of that provider and then flip on the service. So you have this gap where you're basically guaranteeing downtime when an attack happens between that and when the on-demand service comes to play. So I would say one of the key differentiators is that we are an always-on service, so we're going to deal with those attacks uh, before they've impacted your your service. Beyond that, we also have the world's most up-to-date IP reputation database because of the breadth of our network and also our scale really assist in absorbing these very, very large volumetric attacks. Well, Trey, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you for your insight today. Absolutely. Very happy to help you as well. We've been talking about DDoS attacks, how they're launched and how they should be mitigated. I've been speaking with Trey Gwynn. He's the head of solution engineering with Cloudflare. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.